This is episode seven of season one. The first step in achieving your goal is to take a moment to respect your goal. Know what it means to you to achieve it. And then when you walk up to opportunity's door, don't knock. Kick it in, smile, and introduce yourself. This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. In the past couple of years, there has been a drastic change in USA weightlifting. We have a new leader in charge. Name is Phil Andrews. You might have heard of the guy. Phil was brought in at a time where the sport was under a little bit of controversy. We had people making wrong decisions. We had people not making the right decisions in the best interest of the athletes. We had glimpses of great potential, but they were often squandered for selfish reasons. Phil was brought in to make a sweeping change across the landscape. And what a sweeping change this guy made. He put a staff in place that took that potential, harnessed it, and put actual muscle behind that potential. He had a vision for that potential, and then not only did he have that vision, but he was able to execute that vision to its fullest. He took the sport out of high school gymnasiums, out of roller rinks, and put them in convention centers and in great grand ballrooms, put the competitions on display for the world to see. We had live streams. We have more participants than ever in most recent years. And all of this is because of a great sweeping change that changed the way we thought about the sport, changed the way we presented the sport to the general public. Now, I'm not going to say that Phil had everything to do with this. We have a lot of different factors to thank for the growth of the sport and all that. But Phil was at the front, leading from the front the entire way. If you hang out on Facebook and any of the weightlifting groups, if you're on Twitter or Instagram or any of those things... Phil is on there. He's very active. He wants to hear your comments and he wants to hear your concerns. He wants to help in any way possible. If you go to any of these weightlifting meets, he's not hiding or sitting under the bleachers, you know, avoiding contact with people. He is out there. He's talking to you. He's shaking hands. He wants to hear what you have to say. And if he's not doing these things, he's usually announcing a session, working a martial table, or just hanging out in the back, just kind of getting a pulse for what the athletes and the coaches and the volunteers are feeling or thinking. This is somebody who leads from the front. And this is somebody that you want at the head of any organization. And these are the kinds of virtues that you want that person showing. The last leader we had wasn't any of these things. He created more controversy and was very content keeping us under the rock that everybody was comfortable being in. Sometimes drastic change is necessary to bring things into a more positive light, and that is where we're at. The recipe for a good leader is having a passion, having a vision for success, and executing a plan to achieve that success. So whether you are the leader or you are the follower, is that role being filled by somebody that you deem the right person? Take a minute, sit back, and think. Who are you following? What's one thing you use every training session? One thing that if you changed for under $10 would have an immediate effect on your training. For myself and my lifters, that was upgrading to Hand Armor Chalk. Hand Armor, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting, is professional grade stuff. We keep it old school in the gym with their block chalk, but for me personally, I'm a huge fan of their liquid chalk. I use it whenever I'm throwing as a base layer before I tape up my hands and it's a total game changer. It's completely mess free, long lasting, antimicrobial, and most importantly, gives me a great grip for my entire training session. I love this stuff and recommend you give it a try. The block chalk just starts at $3 and the liquid chalk under $7. Plus, if you use code AGENDA at checkout, you get an additional 10% off. HandArmorChalk.com. Go get yours now. My guest today is Zach Greenwald of Strength Ratio. When I first met Zach, he was sporting his UNC Chapel apparel, walking around <laughs> the training center at MDUSA, kind of hanging out with Becca Gurdon, 
uh i originally thought he was just a friend of hers just hanging out and then i saw a laptop pop up get pulled out with all sorts of graphs and ratios and all sorts of stuff like that and he was working with a few of the lifters in the gym um and later on i eventually started working with zach Uh, he is the owner and founder of strength ratio um and i'm really excited to have him on today zach thanks for joining the show tom thanks so much for having me man no problem. So uh, let's just start at square one. Um, what was, what's your background in sports or training, and uh, how did you get to the current state of Zach Greenwald and strength ratio? So my sport primarily was baseball uh, all throughout grade school, uh, middle school, and high school. And through baseball, I was on a state team, and we were introduced to weight training uh, though the first coach that we had was hardly a coach at all. He was just like a personal trainer of sorts before our coaching improved. And it was kind of like, well, here's all the upper body stuff. And when we asked what was downstairs, of course, like the squat racks and the leg press and the hamstring curl, he's like, oh, you don't need that. So horrible initial introduction to strength training concurrent with baseball. That was definitely my intro into all things sports and fitness related. And as I got burnt out from baseball, I learned more about what was downstairs in the gym that we weren't initially allowed to use because the trainer didn't know how to teach it appropriately. And then the weightlifting uh, started replacing my baseball interest. Nice. And what, 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 how, how old were you when that took place? So that was probably 13 years old when I started weight training. And then when I uh-huh. figured out what I was doing with squatting and pulls and things like that, I was probably 16, 17. So just just wrapping up uh, high school going into college. Nice. And uh, as you had mentioned, uh, so I studied exercise uh, science with Becca Gurdon uh, in Chapel Hill. Becca and I actually walked together at graduation. And our timing was really great, or at least the timing for what became strength ratio was really great in that I went out to Asheville to kind of combine what I knew in the strength world and from my academic education with Uh, some more progressive-minded people in the orthopedic world to begin thinking about how we can combine performance and rehabilitation. At this time, Becca had gone out to train with you all a muscle driver. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I actually uh, uh, saw you in a video, Becca doubled a 100 kilo clean, and you were sitting behind her on these jerk blocks, and you just freaked the heck out. And (laughs) I was like, I got to meet this guy and the rest of the team. So... When Becca was dealing with some back injuries, uh, I went Mm. down to you guys where we first met and was able to help her. And then I worked with Travis Cooper and helping rehab his back in time for world championships in 2014. And then slowly started working with more of the team over time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so let's talk about now. What, What is strength ratio in its current state? So in its current state, we are primarily an online coaching business. We work with uh, weightlifters and crossfitters on high levels of performance. Our weightlifters uh, have competed uh, in nationals here and abroad. We've had CrossFit regional athletes, um, masters qualifiers. One of our masters athletes just missed going to the games. So we've been able to help these athletes on high levels of performance, uh, but we also are able to help athletes resolve pains, uh, chronic injuries of any sort. And what's really special to us is that a lot of our athletes who we've helped get back to where they were and then exceed where they had been in the past, they mm-hmm. actually began with us to resolve injury. Yeah. So we're really proud of the fact that we can work on both sides of the spectrum and progress athletes out of pain and on towards progress. Absolutely. Now, did you, would you say that like a large majority <clears throat> of your your clients, your members, et cetera, came to you for pain? Or did some of them just come to you for a different way of thinking about training? So it definitely began that way. Um, it began where most of our athletes were looking to resolve aches and pains. And gotcha. you know, as they saw our athletes return, not just to being able to perform activities for daily living without pain, like, oh, here's strength ratio. They help athletes who are in pain return to brushing their teeth and then they turn them back over to their, their full-time coaches where they're, they're able to mm-hmm. uh, progress. It's no, they're able to actually help these athletes from square one get back to where they were and beyond. So mm-hmm. once 
I think people realized that we were helping these athletes get to that level beyond. They also started coming to us for a performance. So now it's about split 50-50, those who are healthy nice. and those who are coming to us for uh, injury resolution. Yeah, nice. I, I know when I started working with you back in, God, 2015? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, mine was knee issues um, uh, from all the years of training at MDUSA and all my grid prep stuff like that. I was becoming very quad dominant, but I had absolutely like zero um, balance between my, my anterior chain and my posterior chain. Yeah. And you, you and I worked together for about six to eight weeks or something like that. And it was amazing. I mean, what we were doing was primarily posterior chain dominant with a lot of single side carries and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And within like eight weeks, like my knee pain instantly went away and I was able to take that and incorporate it into what I'm doing every day with my training and with my lifters, you know, because I was starting to see that as a trend with a lot of weightlifters in particular, not as much with the CrossFit athletes because they do a lot of, uh, of odd object stuff like that, but like weightlifters mm -hmm. in particular, um, just don't do a ton of carries, don't do a ton of odd object moving, um, single arm, single leg stuff. Um, it's mostly snatch, clean, and jerk, squat, and pull variations. Uh, sometimes they throw a little press in there, and the way you know you incorporated stuff like that, I was just like, this this needs to stay like and yeah. it needs to be you know incorporated on a large scale basis so that brings me to my question for you is with the way you do things um what is like the big hole you see in these different uh avenues of strength and conditioning whether it be like on the college setting or a crossfit you know gym or like a weightlifting setting like what is your what is the common like issue that you see with these different programs for sure so I'd like to kind of break it down into that, which is a little bit more under the table uh, chronic uh, mm -hmm. issues that end up eventually maybe presenting themselves as what appears to be an acute injury or acute pain over time. Um, and that which could also be how to prevent acute injury in the gym. Uh, as for what is chronic, you know, specificity is king. If your CrossFit competition calls, for X amount of ring dips, you need to be well prepared for ring dips. If you're mm -hmm. a weightlifter, you need to be performing snatch and clean and jerk. Um, but at the same time, we're only as strong as what we can recover from. And on the whole, without drugs, I believe that people are very apt to take on a whole bunch of volume all at once without an appropriate progression. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we kind of honestly do on, on a very basic level is just make sure that people are following a periodized plan where training gets harder over time and is not hard all at once. Mm -hmm. So we can prevent overuse injuries with a wise periodized plan. Uh, and we can also make sure that if the CrossFitter, uh, if the CrossFitter performs primarily in a certain plane of motion, we can take them out of those planes of motion to help prevent overuse of specific tissues. The same applies to really any other athlete. Um, we don't do anything super special, maybe save for some biofeedback that we'll get into uh, towards the end of the show. But the very first thing that we have people do is do less. Find what the minimum amount they need is to move pain-free and then progress from there. It sounds almost too simple to be good, but really that's what we help give the structure for. Um, and that's maybe something that you might recall is that we weren't doing as much work or maybe perhaps with as much intensity as you've done before, mm. but we just kind of peeled the layers back down and slowly built back up. No, I mean, and what you and I did, I mean, for instance, like the, the, the tempo back squats, like you were like, only go up to this weight. And I'm like, really, that's it. <laughs> but then by the end of the set, I was like, holy crap. Like, yeah, that was, that was good. I'm good. We're, yep. we're good. Everything. So it's really fun. I, the, the junk volume video, I believe that was your video, correct? Yes. Yes. If you, uh, if you get a chance, check out Zach's uh, uh, YouTube account. I watch a lot of his videos on there, um, read a lot of his stuff. Um, the junk volume video and then your uh, whiteboard talks about, mm -hmm. you know, you had one for CrossFit, you had one for weightlifting, and then like a general, um, you know, periodization, you know, model and stuff like that and how you could periodize CrossFit and all that. Like those are great videos that explain, you know, that give, you know, the nuts and bolts of what you do. Um, but talk a little bit about junk volume because that was a video that intrigued me a lot. And I think I've, I've watched that one like two or three times because the first time I was like kind of caught off guard by 
just the video in general um the topic yeah. and, and like it made you think a little bit and then i would watch i watched it two more times just to make sure like i understood exactly what you were talking about and then the third time i was like actually making notes and stuff like that so talk a little bit about the the the, the that that video not necessarily in its entirety but just like the your thoughts on like junk volume yeah so well the 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 challenging thing with junk volume for a crossfitter is that they have to be good at almost everything um so when you get into junk volume for a crossfitter you have to have a sense of a a really good sense of someone's needs analysis so if someone's really good at handstand push-ups and muscle-ups right and they've had a history because they're so good at handstand push-ups and muscle-ups uh of maybe elbow bicep or shoulder discomfort well they're really good at it already. Let's bump it down. Doing more of it and not prioritizing what they need to improve on would simply be more that they couldn't recover from. So junk volume is simply that which is in excess of what you ought to be doing. And we know it's in excess because either you have pain symptoms the next day or you don't feel as fresh for your primary uh, foci, right? Like the, the major uh, pieces that you need to improve. As for a weightlifter, you know, we want to make sure that we're prioritizing snatch and clean and jerk, though we don't always want to be prioritizing snatch and clean and jerk from the floor with lots of intensity all the time. Again, that's where a periodized plan helps guide us. So uh, I made note that while a weightlifter wants a good amount of variation, especially after a competition, variation for the sake of variation or corrective exercise, quote unquote, just to do it, uh, could actually be a detriment. You need to make sure that the amount of extra work you're doing on top of your sports-specific training is actually allowing you to feel recovered the very next day. Just because it's called corrective exercise doesn't mean that it can't actually be a potential detriment because you're doing too much work. Nice. You're talking about you know you know the corrective exercises and going through all that. Like, what are some of your go-to movements like it, 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 when you first start working with an athlete like I know like you had certain ones for me that work but like do you have a general um, arsenal well yeah that... so the 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 basic principles that we apply when someone has pain is okay how can we get this athlete to move without pain right that's the first very first thing mm-hmm. what movements can we safely do that do not increase pain um, after we figured out which exercises do not increase pain and perhaps that athlete's moving with a little bit more comfort, we look at their current training and we actually just look at their previous program, see what they were doing a lot of and see what they weren't doing as much of. So uh, weightlifters, for example, as you mentioned, often very uh, dominant in the anterior chain. Huge quads, squats for days with not nearly as much pulls, especially in America. I don't know why you don't see a lot of American lifters doing heavy pulls or doing uh, pulls for volume, which can mm-hmm. be extremely helpful in creating yeah. a stronger posterior chain. So to kind of review there, get the athletes moving pain-free by involving exercises that don't cause initial pain, and then from there, figuring out where their current program is lacking, whether that's in terms of exercise selection or even the tempo with which they're moving and try to implement those exercises and tempos accordingly. So you had mentioned not just doing posterior chain exercises to balance out the anterior chain, but we also spoke about the tempo squats you were doing, right? So Mm -hmm. if we know that in the sport of weightlifting, it's largely concentric only, uh, we're moving primarily in one speed off the ground, we know that weightlifters are not getting a whole lot of eccentric action. Uh, Also in the squats, it's kind of like the Tigger squat, you know, where uh, Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, he's like a springy tail and then often it leads to grinding up. So there's almost no eccentric control in the squat either. So if we can actually slow the weightlifter down, challenge the posterior chain and get some eccentric loading on them, that will typically help 90% of weightlifters, just those two guidelines or recommendations yeah, for sure. in general. Yeah, I mean, it, that was, like I said, that was the one, like, big thing I took away from you was, like, the balance between the squatting and the pulling. And, like, my, my it's really funny you mentioned that, like, the American system, so to speak. I don't know, I mean, I have experienced a couple different systems of, of training, and that was the one thing I noticed was, 
the lack of pulling. Yeah. Um, like with Glenn, um, when we first started training, uh, when I like at the beginning of the year, we would do about six weeks of pulling. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that was it for the year. Never made sense to me. I mean, I, I, I was always a good puller, like all through high school. Like I was a push press and a deadlift guy. Like that was it. I could barely back squat. <laughs> you know, I was one of those, I, I call them like parallel squats. Like in high school, I think I parallel <laughs> yeah. squatted like 425. We had a little beeper that went to our thigh to make sure we stopped at parallel and all this stuff. <laughs> but like, I didn't even know the, that existed. That's terrible. Oh my, it was, it well, I was, I was actually talking about it in the gym the other day. Our coach, um, was an old school bodybuilder, um, taught okay. me everything. Like he, he gave me a great start in strength training, but we had those power racks with the pins. <laughs> and, and so it was originally that we had, like, you could use pin four. It was like three, four and five were our options. And you had to be in like certain height brackets to use the different settings. Yeah. Well, then kids literally started putting like stuffing their shoes so they were taller, so they could use like the higher pins when we did our squats. Oh so to gosh. rectify the situation or to remedy the situation, the coach um, bought these little beeper things, and there was a strap with an orange little box, and it beeped at, at parallel, and you had to strap it like you had to you had to like hike up your shorts, and it was like middle of your thigh. You had to put the thing on there, and when you would squat, it would beep at parallel, and that's <laughs> that's how we that's how when we would test our squats, that's what we had to do. But, um, so like I had hardly ever done like full depth, full range of motion squats. So I got to MDUSA and I went from doing like pulls all the time. Like I would deadlift at least one, like heavy once a week. And then I do a bunch of reps like earlier on, or, you know, do dynamic work or whatever to doing zero pulls and all squatting. And then what do you know? Like my knees would start Uh hurting and I I had no idea why. And then you and I started working together. So like now with my gym, um, we, we, we do at least two days of pulling, uh, and we'll do one day of squatting on the, or back squatting, one day of front squatting, and then that third day is more just like a repetition movement or like eccentrics or stuff like that, um, just to kind of because you posted another it was either an article or an Instagram post talking about at least a one to one ratio, and yeah. so when it comes to like heavy movement, that's what we try to incorporate. But um, but but why do you think? that's a thing in the American system, so to speak. Like, why do you think they're so emphasized? Like, do you, do we blame Iron Mind for posting all the, <laughs> the big, the big training hall squat videos and never posting a big deadlift, you know, video? You know, or that, it's, it's a great question. Um, there might be something in our psyche that is more drawn to the squat. Like yeah. for, uh, for instance, um, if I, post a video i have a 69 kilo lifter who uh is 69 kilo lifter who might arguably be the strongest he still has room to improve skill in his weightlifting and he's uh, a top 10 a session lifter um but probably the strongest 69 kilo uh weightlifter in the country and i can show uh, a video like if I post a video or share a video of one of his squats which is just absurd it'll get thousands more <laughs> views oh, yeah. and so many more likes than if he does pulls clean pulls at like 130 percent for triples so mm-hmm. for whatever reason we're more drawn to the squat yeah. um, I don't know why that just seems to be the trend as for where the mentality comes from, uh, I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure it came from some program that we uh, integrated into uh, the American system that might have come from elsewhere. That That's just yeah. kind of what they did. Yeah. But the thing that cracks me up is that you need to pull the weight to first shoulder it or to catch right. it overhead. So right. it's almost, uh, it drives me wild when I see people who can squat like 20 kilos over their best pull and they're wondering why their clean pulls feel so heavy. Or why they're actually missing cleans on, in competition rather than more commonly missing jerks. Right. So it's uh, it's confusing in that sense. But uh, the weightlifters do stand to get better in mm-hmm. pulls on the whole and to involve some eccentric loading on the way yeah. down. Uh, rather than just doing a concentric pull and dropping, that already happens in the clean and the snatch. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend if there are weightlifters listening, which I'm certain there are, oh, yeah. uh, do, do pulls, also do pulls with a controlled lowering to the ground, and also don't be afraid to extend past three or five reps. Um, you know, I've seen athletes, and, and there are coaches who are now of a more 
progressive mindset, uh, programming for athletes who they know are drug-free, they haven't come over from different countries and are working in America with who they thought would be able to perform on drugs, but now they yeah. can't. Uh, so you see like um, people from Juggernaut doing 10s in a clean deadlift. You mm -hmm. know, you never saw that a couple years ago. My guys have been doing 10s in a clean deadlift or snatch deadlift. Yeah. But it's something that is against the grain, though it does make sense if you understand how we can progress people over time. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just a funny dynamic. I, I don't have a concrete answer, but... Yeah, I was just curious what your thoughts were because that was one thing. I, I, I agree with you 110%. Like, you know, if MASH posts a video of, you know, Nathan squatting 600 pounds everybody like loses their mind. <laughs> yeah, but like totally. if you were to post a video of Nathan pulling 300 K mm -hmm. people will be like, Oh, okay. People have deadlifted more than that. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but I don't they... think you, you, you understand like <laughs> that's some otherworldly strength to be able, but that's neither here nor there. It's a topic for, I guess that, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Exactly. But, but it, it does highlight the importance of uh, exercise selection where, mm -hmm. You know, if you look at a program and you see um, eight squats and one pull, even someone who didn't uh, or who's never stepped in a weight room might say, well, uh, just looking at a video of the clean and jerk or snatch for the very first time, and you don't even tell them the rules, and you say, okay, that person's standing up weight eight times and they're picking weight off the floor once. That person who knows nothing about the sport would probably think something's a little strange. Just so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we get in down this rabbit hole so much. Uh, we think of the squat as being the third lift in weightlifting. Uh, mm -hmm. The squat is an accessory exercise, right? It's oh, it's, absolutely, it's, yeah. That's that's yeah. I mean, when I when I get brand new people that come into the gym, I flat out tell them like I'm like we the the main lifts are the snatch, the clean, and the jerk, and all their variations. Yep. <laughs> I was like, the squat might be one of the more important accessory movements. Absolutely, but it is an except because I have a, I have a guy in the gym. Um, I don't know if he was there when you guys were uh, in town for nationals, but he is otherworldly in his uh, in, in his in his back squats. Um, he when he first came to me, he was an eighty five kilo lifter, and he like his first day in the gym, he back squatted two fifty, like just up and down, no problem. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. And then I started watching him lift, and he could barely snatch sixty kilos. Yeah, and I was like, and we found a problem. Um, <laughs> and so it was one of those things like. He, he his clean started eventually getting up there and he if he could get it to his shoulders he was fine yep. but you know we did a we do we did a modified LSUS template you know a couple times now we've done it we started at the beginning of each of our big you know um, uh, macro cycles and it's it, it's got sets of 10 in the snatch grip deadlift sets of 10 in the clean deadlift awesome. and he and he was one of the ones that was always like these are dumb I don't want to <laughs> do these I'm like right I was like but once we started going heavy in the lifts, I was like, "It's gonna, it's gonna pay off. It's gonna, it's gonna help you out there." And then, what do you know? Like now, his lifts are finally starting to catch up to his squat. I mean, we did tens of because just to make him happy, I'm like, "Let's do some tens in the back squat too." Yeah, he did. I think he did 205 for his tens. He did 220 for his set of fives, and now we're transitioning into threes. But like the pulls have moved right along with it. Like we did tens in the the lifts, uh, fives in the. Uh, pulls this last cycle and now we're doing um um heavy singles at percentages with uh uh uh, uh the six to ten second descent but oh. it's all that kind of stuff that they're all just kind of like they all give me dirty looks and then after listening to this they're gonna think uh that you're to blame for <laughs> <laughs> the most recent developments in their training looks that was the other thing is one of their warm-up movements they had to do was uh tempo front squats um, oh yeah for a clean movement and they i i don't know how many messages i got or posts and like these are stupid <laughs> like i have no idea why you're making me do these but you understand that you'll be destroyed <laughs> yeah somebody's always going to complain about something but yeah i just I, I was just curious what your thought was on where that disconnect went because for me personally i'm always way more impressed with a heavy deadlift than a back squat uh -huh. um but, yeah i mean i like i said I, I don't really know what the the cause is but um if it's not a hard fix, right? Like yeah. I, I can't tell you how many weightlifters are out there who squat all the time without any eccentric action, deliberate eccentric action or squat, yeah. and they're wondering why they have pinchy hips and and, yeah. and knees that are achy. It's like, guys, this is not something. Um, and I'll, and they they think that there has to be a more complex explanation, mm -hmm. right? And 
uh, I've kind of said it like this, where if we dial back load, if we dial back volume, and you start to feel better, right? And the knee pain goes away. I, I propose this as a hypothetical. People almost don't believe it until they actually begin to see it. Because, as I mentioned before, we're only as strong as what we can recover from. Mm -hmm. A lot of weightlifters bounce back between intensity blocks and basically peaking. So there's really no periodized plan that ever controls fatigue management. And of course you're going to have pinchy hips and achy knees when all you're doing is not just the same movement, but performing the same intensity. If yeah. we introduce drugs, different story entirely, right? Oh, but absolutely. We're not talking about that. We're talking about weightlifting in in America, and and mm -hmm. it looks much much different. So, it's um it's something that is an easy fix, and folks should just give it a try. You Absolutely. don't have to maybe run to your uh, ortho the next time you have these these pains. Just have an honest reevaluation of your training and what that looks like, because the ortho or the PT might have you do uh different joint mobilizations or stretches but mm -hmm. if you continue to train the same crappy dumb way that you're training you will not improve because you're just going to be like a hamster on a, a hamster wheel yeah now what are your thoughts on um, variations of squats and pulls in the terms of like pulling from a deficit pulling from pins um, box squatting or bottom-up lifts and stuff along those lines like what is your how do those fit into your assessment and your you know prescription for uh, movement for your athletes and such. So I think that those are all awesome exercises, and you know if we uh, consider two things, we consider the importance of variation mm -hmm. for making sure that those same tissues aren't overused all the time. So we can provide variation with the form of a box squat versus a deep barbell back squat. We can provide a variation with, like you said, a deficit pull versus a regular pull, but where I think the benefit actually stands most from those exercises are people's overall enjoyment. Yeah, We have a hierarchy of kind of what we consider to be our foundational principles, and the actual pyramid itself that represents this hierarchy is the athlete's motivation and, and enjoyment in the program. If that's not there, nothing else is. So, you know, if the athlete comes in and they're doing the same thing every single day, every block of training, then they're going to get burnt out. But mm -hmm. it might even be as simple as just changing the height of the exercise, the depth yeah. to which you squat to, or the riser from which you pull, where people are like, oh, this is new. I enjoy this. It's a new challenge for me. So mm -hmm. to be honest, I love those exercises for like the specific technical issues that they can work on, but I like them more for keeping athletes fun and engaged. Nice. That was that was kind of my thought, but I I just wanted to see what your what your take on it was. But yeah, that's my biggest thing. Like, um, people give uh, uh the conjugate system in Westside like a lot of crap and stuff like that. And like the one thing I took away from it when I was with Glenn was the variety of the main lifts that we did. You know, yeah. um, Glenn operated, it depended on where we were in the training cycle, but it was usually four to, you know, four to six weeks, which the six weeks always seemed like a little bit too long for me. Um, but like I do it with my athletes now about three weeks at a time, it, but we'll do a variation of the movement and you'll mm -hmm. work on building, you know, each week for three weeks. And then we do a deload, then it's a whole new set of movements. But that's the one thing I may have been able to take away, you know, from the conjugate system, so to speak, is just the variation for simply the fact of keeping the athlete engaged. Yeah. Um, if they're going to come in and be doing snatch, clean and jerk off blocks or, you know, uh, uh, from the floor or stuff like that. Every single time they're in the gym, like they, you're gonna, a, you're not gonna be making money because nobody's gonna want to train with you. Exactly. Um, and I, and it, it's sad, but that's the fact. Like these athletes aren't all gonna be professionals. They're all not gonna be on the international stage. So you gotta keep it interesting. You gotta keep their 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 boredom in check, and you gotta yeah. you know keep them engaged in the training. So I am a huge proponent of a variety, and I, I'm really happy to hear that other coaches, like you said, I I, I think we're starting to see this more of a progressive yeah. movement amongst coaches. Coaches are talking 
uh, to each other. <laughs> um, I, I remember sure. the first few times, you know, when I was with MDUSA and we would go to meets, like the coaches just didn't communicate. Only like there were like pockets of coaches that were all like local that would talk to each other, but there just wasn't as much open communication. I feel now, you know, with the advent of Instagram and oh, yeah. YouTube and social media in general, like there's a lot more information being, you know, uh, exchanged out there and the coaches are just willing to talk to each other um, and, and learn from each other and be able to pick and choose what works for their system and what doesn't. For sure. Uh, and I, I think that with, uh, with any athlete's plan and program, somehow still coaches are missing this altogether. Uh, but like they don't even start with a basic uh, needs analysis. But also, even before that, they don't even ask their athletes' goals. Yeah. So yeah. every CrossFitter who shows signs of promise, we somehow, like a coach is like, ooh, I'm going to make them the next Maddie or the next CJ. It's like, look, there's one Maddie and there's one CJ. Everyone mm -hmm. else... I mean, we we love the sport. It's our hobby. Some will make international Pan Am teams, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, like if we're talking about like the point oh 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 to the twentieth power uh, right. of people who will get to that level who need a specific type of training program. Where well, if it's boring, they can kind of suck it up. But if you have paying clients. You know, like, don't train them like the Olympians that you somehow have skewed in your mind for them to be. You have yeah. to make sure that they're enjoying it because then they just won't come back. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a nice thing about variety, too, if you're training for uh, bodybuilding or CrossFit, you know, actually kind of sticking it out through training the same exercises over a long period of time can be very beneficial in that you're training them for more volume. And if you're constantly switching exercises out, for new ones, you're mainly going to have neurological adaptations and not musculoskeletal hypertrophic adaptations. So let's just say you want to get a bigger chest or yeah. get a bigger bench press in CrossFit to improve your pressing stamina. If you do bench one week and the next week it's push press, well, you didn't really add size to your pecs in, in the bench because you swapped out all of that volume. But the great thing about providing some more variety to weightlifting is that you actually want neurological adaptations. You want those weightlifters to be making different connections to different points in the lifts and different uh, postures. So, you know, keeping things varied in weightlifting because ultimately you're training for intensity mm -hmm. is to your benefit. It's not the right. most important tool in your toolbox, but you no, need some all. kind of variation for sure. Right. Speaking of bench press and CrossFit, uh, I didn't realize you literally posted almost the exact same thing I posted uh, <laughs> a couple weeks prior. Um, one of my lifters actually was like, hey, Zach Greenwald, you know, posted almost the exact same thing. I read it and I was like, "Wow, great minds think alike. Yeah. Regionals. Yeah. Um, and the ring dip. I know, you know, we, there were a lot of... Uh, hectares uh, when it came to that 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 ring dip um 2159 i think it was ring dip and uh, dumbbell snatches um i don't remember what the what the final tally was i want to say it was in like the mid to upper 20s what was your uh general assumption of that and why that occurred now like we we, we all know it is hard, like you had said. CrossFit has to be good at so many things. Yep. So it's very hard. Things are going to fall to the wayside. But do you think that there are any little things that athletes can do in their everyday training that could prevent something like that to, from happening again? Yeah, so the the challenging thing, and I'll preface all of this within my opinion, right? Yeah, so, of course. <laughs> uh, I don't think enough of us actually do that. Um, no. But uh, what I was uh, saying, and I do think that this can, can be prevented, um, and, and actually a few of these athletes who've had pec tears have, I think, uh, helped confirmed my original thought, which mm -hmm. ties into what I was explaining earlier in the, the show, and that is that we do take on a whole lot of volume mm -hmm. very fast. Yeah. And, and in Prep for competition, that's certainly more appropriate. The The best way to avoid that is if you're not a CrossFit regional athlete, just don't be attempting those workouts RX plain and simple. Like, just don't even bother. Or but, don't attempt the workouts nine times leading up <laughs> to the competition. Which gets into my next point and, and an argument that I – or not an argument, but I, I propose. I said, well, um, you know, these athletes perform these workouts many, many times. 
before the actual event. Uh, Noah Olson spoke out about how many ring dips he had done. You know, just an overwhelming amount of ring dips. And like I said, we're only as strong as what we're recovering from. So in my opinion, we just saw a whole bunch of people who exceeded their ability to continue to push the dip. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into an argument with someone else on Facebook, which by the way, Facebook is such a more grumpy, like mean place than Instagram. So I'm just going to stick to Instagram. Right? Oh, I'm with you. I I, hardly, I, 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 I stay off Facebook for the most part, but <laughs> uh, Instagram has a character limit. So sometimes yes, my, my, my lengthier posts I have to put on Facebook and then I screenshot it and uh, <laughs> put it over on Instagram. But um, I, I, I was I got into a, uh, just a, a conversation with a, a, another uh, coach in the field and uh, their claim was that this was due to a, a, another muscle being weak and others being strong. Um, uh, and I just believed that there's not one answer. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, that could be the case. Everything that is related to performance and injury is multifactorial, like period. Mm-hmm. But um, if we can just say, all right, these athletes exceeded their ability to recover, we've kind of just answered the biggest part of the equation. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about, well, why are men having the tears and why are women not? Uh, my personal opinion on that is that the men, in order to do well in that workout, had to go unbroken. So they're just going yeah. that much faster and yeah. they weigh more. So there's more load on the, the joint. Yeah. So, um, and the women had to, all of the women were, were breaking up and their times were slower. So they weren't yeah. moving with as much speed. Uh, but yeah, it just comes like, like I said, it just, <laughs> if you see someone that's dealing with injury, just look at the program. And yeah. see if they were doing too much or too little. Yeah, I mean that was it was really hard for me to see coaches argue a weak muscle, yeah. um, <laughs> an undertrained muscle. I could see, but like I mean, when you look at the general physique of a CrossFitter, yeah, have you um, seen Noah Olson's pecs? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like most of these guys are ripped to the bones. Like, it is very hard for me to comprehend somebody who's saying, "Oh, he's got weak muscles here." Yeah, no, he might not have as like he might have overtrained or undertrained muscles, but there's no weak like it just that was a very that that was a, that was an argument that people kept making that was really annoying and then people were going to the drugs thing and all that like yeah, yeah i'm yeah. not I'm, I'm not taking that completely out of the equation but that was my thing is like you have like the muscles need to be you know when, when you're when you're working with athletes and all that like you need to think a little bit outside the box and attack it from all different planes and that was my main argument was right a lot of these guys were just doing dips over and over and over and over again leading up to the competition and they kind of reached like you said the peak of what they were able to do and then they got to the competition and the body's like hey guess what we're not working anymore exactly um Right. And, and had they, you know, taken a step back in their program and maybe done, um, I know this is going to kill a lot of egos, maybe done some stuff with a band, um, done more like very different angles, like pressing, you know, with dumbbells or ring pushups, stuff that just kind of hit it from a different side, but still getting the work in without, you know, overloading the actual movement itself. I think we definitely would have seen a lot less in terms of. Uh, of the, on, on the injury front. Now, did Noah Olsen tear, or was he one of the ones that didn't? He had torn in training. Gotcha. Well, this is this is also another big part of it. So, um, for the listeners who are unaware, uh, a muscle can strain, a joint mm-hmm. will sprain. That's just the language that is yeah. used. Um, when we say pec tears, I think the lay people think of the like that there are a couple of photos that have become notorious of power lifters with like the pec rolling into a ball and it's all mm. bruised like we need to clarify that there are different grades of muscles straining yeah. so yeah. when an athlete says i'm pulling out that doesn't mean that their pec has erupted from their uh, yeah. uh, attachment onto the shoulder like that's totally not the case so it's funny like no one even spoke about that like we don't even know the degrees to which these injuries vary because they certainly do it's just that the athlete didn't feel prepared enough for the next event or to go into that next event safely Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but you know if you if you think about like it's competition is it a bad thing that it happened well you know it's unfortunate but if that athlete wants to in the future do better my recommendation or if it were my athlete is we we would definitely have all of training written down right Mm -hmm. so if my athlete has a pec injury something that prevents them from going on. I'm not going to call it a tear. 
some kind of straining, an injury that prevents them from going, I would literally sit down and tally every ring dip they did yep. before and including regionals and say, okay, if uh, 286 ring dips is what we did, and next year they repeat this workout, because I can see Castro doing that just because that's kind of who he is, oh, then God. I would say, okay, rather than 284 ring dips, let's do 191, right? Let's just bring the volume down. Yeah. Like it, it sounds too simple. It yeah, always right. does. But um, let's lower the volume and see if you perform better. I guarantee you will. Because sometimes in order to find out what you can recover from, you need to go overboard. Yeah. Especially in competition. And, and if these guys are going to come back next year, it's just a learning lesson for them to come back better prepared. So. Yeah. It's not really a, a horrible, tremendously bad thing, no. especially because no one's pecs are like flying off the, the insertion on the shoulder and yeah. they're, they're dead. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I, uh, Alex Viata, um, I think it was back in like two, that, when, I, when I started paying attention to the Open, like he made a joke on Facebook. He was like, you know what Castro should do is post rest day as one of the Open workouts because <laughs> no CrossFitter will pay attention to that. And I, I started laughing because I'm like, like, because I didn't get it at first, but I was like, that's, I was like, they're not all that bad. And then I started working out at a CrossFit and then I, 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 I eventually owned one for, you know, a year and I was like, oh, nope, that's absolutely true. There are people who are like, <laughs> Why don't you program seven days a week? I'm like, because you need to rest. That's why. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm totally fine. Or they'll come in like they only work out three days a week. They'll do like nine workouts in that one day, and that's slight exaggeration. And then they'll be like wrecked for two days or whatever. Like, it's just it's really funny that your whole thing is just simplicity. Let's just pull it back, like, yeah. and just see how you adapt from there. Um, but, the other thing that I always oh sorry go on. No, I just had the only thing I cracked joke or I, I laughed about when all the pec tears started is in strongman, um, bicep tears are uh -huh. just a thing. Like they happen, like they're, they're, I would say they're common, but that's like the common injury. And it yep. was just really funny because when the strongman tears a bicep, it's a freak thing, whatever. Like they do a lot of stone on it, but nobody's like, well, if they'd have done more curls. <laughs> They wouldn't have tore their bicep. It's like, mm, no, that's not. That's exactly. Not really yeah, no how one that says. <laughs> well, the thing about CrossFit too is that the more skilled you are, the less volume you have to do because, right, right, right like you don't need extra work. You're already very efficient in your movement, which means that you're going to be expending less unnecessary energy. Yeah. So what confuses me, like hardcore. Is that I don't know if you've seen they had a, a series with Frazier lead and they're leading all the way up to the games. Yeah, and, and Frazier was one like you know of, like grip fatigue away from winning the games last year. Like he he would have won if he could hold on to those like heavy freaking kettlebells. Yeah. Um. But what does Matt Frazier do? He says that he's taken his volume up twofold, and he's also said he's had MRIs on both hips, both knees, both shoulders. He's had fractures in his hands from cleaning so much. Like, you never hear about boxer fractures in people performing barbell exercises. Wow. So my, my, what astonishes me is that we, we feel like we need to be doing more. I think a lot of it is just because maybe in our lives we want the escape of just going in the gym and feeling beat yeah. to crap. We just want that adrenaline rush. But the answer, especially for a CrossFitter who's proficient in skill, is not more volume. Like that, it, it just doesn't really add up. You have to be like a survivalist. You have to yeah. be able to not just be uh, enduring and, and have good uh, volume, but if you're getting MRIs on both hips and both shoulders and both knees, like you're not going to do well in the games because no. you can barely function in training. Well, that was, a, and I don't mean to turn this into a complete CrossFit thing, but that was my one observation i made last year with josh bridges he didn't qualify in 2015 so he had an even longer off season if you would i don't uh -huh. i don't know exactly um i'm still kind of confused when i see people posting about their off season work because i'm like that's not an off season but, <laughs> um but like he had a much longer off season than other games athletes that were at the games and he came back the next year and just looked completely unstoppable yeah and it made me think you know um 
weightlifting in particular, like my lifters are always, you know, amazed. I make them take a week off after a major competition. Like we, we peak for two mm-hmm. main competitions a year, um, depending on your level. Like my, my, my lower level athletes, it's the Illinois state meet. And then it's the AO series three. Now, um, mm-hmm. my bigger lifters, it's nationals in the American open. And I always make them take the week off after they're done competing. And they're always amazed that when they come back from that complete week off, they're like, Oh, I don't feel that bad. It's like, right. Cause you let things come back or, yeah. you know, um, and I try to explain to, you know, my lifters as well and, and other athletes of other sports, like it's a marathon, you know, not a sprint. Like Kendrick Ferris talked about how when, um, after the 96 Olympics, when they got involved, they, they created a couple of training centers that at his in particular session at, at LSU Shreveport, um, I think he said it started out with like 10 or 11 kids. Uh-huh. And he said he was in the middle of the pack in terms of, you know, how good he was and talent and all that. But he just kind of incrementally moved along, and yep. he's now a three-time Olympian, and none of those kids that he trained with at that time are competing anymore. And so I, I just I, yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting you brought that up, too, the whole, like, it's a marathon, not a sprint type thing. And I wonder if some of these higher-level CrossFitters took a year off, not necessarily, like, the entire mm-hmm. year, but just took the competitive season off. And just got some training and just kind of were able to pull things back. Like, how much longer would their careers be? Because, I mean, because I mean, the games are going to get going to get nothing but harder. I think last year was the first year they didn't get a rest day during the games. They went five days straight. Yeah. Um, you know that's going to continue. And you know, like, the, event, like the events are going to get more grueling. They're going to get longer. They're going to get harder. So I just wonder if by implementing a little bit of that pulling it back a hair like how much more longevity to their career some of these athletes would get yeah and, and you know the funny thing is <clears throat> i don't know if you follow uh this instagram handle frustrated yes, strength yes yes oh my god uh, it's pretty hysterical but um you know the funny thing is that i'll call my athletes out and then the this one particular page if you don't follow is just called frustrated strength coach on instagram it was a joke that turns it on the coaches like oh coaches don't experience those same things like if i tell my athletes to take a week off of training and and they're not so thrilled with it because they like being in the gym Mm -hmm. they like moving around well yeah if i'm being honest with myself i'd probably feel the same way too so i have to be empathetic and understanding to that but you know if we do consider this long-term approach and and we have this model of just being patient and, and and doing what is most mm-hmm. sustainable so that you're doing this over the long haul, then then you will be rewarded. You might not be as rewarded in the near term when everyone Absolutely. else is posting Absolutely. PRs of yep. max outs all the time, but you, you may end up uh, further ahead of the pack mm-hmm. down the road. And, and it just, it, it, it kind of drives me wild because if you see someone who's always performing and they're never resting, they're simply not pushing themselves hard enough because we need to be eventually creating some type of overload to improve. And if we are actually doing that, we do need time to rest. So if you are just totally freaked out about missing time in the gym, and if that's your social life, um, well, first off, you maybe have a deeper talk about like not having the gym be your identity, which is a huge topic, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. That's for the coach and the athlete. Um, But is maybe just like, you know, Go for yeah. a jog, like walk, walk, go for a walk and maybe go in the gym and hang out, but just know that your training does not have to be hard oh, yeah. all I mean, the time. Yeah. You don't have to feel like during deload week, I am constantly chasing people out of the gym. I'm like, get out of here. Like, this is your time to go do something. Like, I'll have an athlete be like, oh, a bunch of my friends wanted to go to the driving range. So I might not come in like all five days. I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, good. Yeah. Like, I'm, and they're so like, fine. you're not mad about that. I'm like, no, why would I be mad? Like, Go, go, go. Yeah. So. And you probably feel like shit until like the Sunday the deload ends because yeah, you pushed so hard yeah. the week before that you you shouldn't feel really energized at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Like when people are like, oh my God, I don't want to do this, especially during a deload. I'm like, then don't. Like I'm yeah. totally okay <laughs> with that. And then, you know, it's, like you said, it's really funny because like as a coach, like I sometimes need to take my own advice. It's a lot easier for me to dole the oh, advice yeah, out hard. than to take it myself. But let's uh exactly. let, let, let's wrap this up here um and then we'll go into the lightning round for some fun stuff but uh, uh uh if you had one 
piece of advice, whether it's for an athlete or a coach or whatever, like, you know, kind of learn from my mistakes type deal. Um, what is one piece of advice you want everybody to take away from, you know, this episode that they're listening to? Uh, the first piece of advice for a coach writing a program for a new athlete is uh, don't feel like you have to impress your athlete all at once with your programming flexing muscles. Um, because, you know, we can talk about how athletes feel like they need to be doing so much all at once, but if it's written in their program, then the coach is at fault. So the coaches should have an understanding that training should get mm -hmm. harder over time, not hard all at once. And the athlete will then be on board with it. So it starts with the coach. It starts with the people up front. Um, and, and as for the athletes, I think the athlete should have a sense of the same thing the coach should be aware of, that it shouldn't be hard all the time. It should get harder over time and that it needs to be fun. Like we were talking about the percent of people who are at Olympic trials versus those who are posting on Instagram yeah. because it's their hobby and they like it. If it's not staying fun, you're doing something wrong and you need to reevaluate. There are a lot of people who have identified their lives as that which exists on Instagram or that which exists yeah. in the gym. So if you are hearing this and that might sound like you, you might want to have an honest talk with yourself about your goals and why you are actually training because that might totally change the, the program you're on. It might change how you treat training and how wisely and safely you uh, conduct mm -hmm. your training. So I'd say in, in review, coaches, you need to progress your athletes appropriately over time. It needs to be sustainable and it needs to be fun because otherwise they're just going to be sucked into this horrible Instagram, non-leaving the gym yeah. vortex that can just really lead to like some yeah, crappy it's, shit. It's, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with any of that more. There's nothing to add to that. Um, plug time, Zach, for people who want to know more about what you do or find out, maybe possibly get some you know work in with you or whatever, where can people find you? So uh, they can visit us at strengthratiohq.com. We are on Instagram, at strengthratio, on Facebook, strengthratioLLC. Um, we have a YouTube channel. If they want to find some of the videos you mentioned, they can search I highly recommend there. their YouTube channel. I mean, all their resources are good, but I, I spend quite a bit of my time on YouTube checking out their videos along with other uh, groups. But his videos in particular, it just... Just like this podcast, very in-depth, very well thought out, very well spoken in terms of, of, of understanding what you know point you're trying to get across. Yeah, and um, if, if anyone has any questions, just direct message us. Uh, don't ask us perhaps to solve your knee pain with a description of the pain <laughs> you're feeling, but uh, if you'd ever like for us to maybe review a program or provide a suggestion here or there, uh, right. Don't hesitate. We'd be happy to. Uh, and we'll have all this included in the show notes and everything under here, so people can find you guys uh, when this when this episode uh, is up and running. But now for the fun time, we're going to do a lightning <laughs> round. Uh, I'm going to give you three questions here. Years ago, when I had first started the Strength Agenda as an online resource for strength athletes, a company called Blonix reached out to me asking if I would test their HMB plus creatine and write an honest review. I checked the ingredients to make sure they were USADA compliant and said yes, used it for a month as a test. I was blown away with the results. I had used creatine before in high school and college, but I never used HMB, let alone in conjunction with creatine. The difference it made in my training was noticeable as I was less sore after each training session. This is an incredible feat for me considering I had nine heavy training sessions a week with MDUSA. Over the course of four years, as I've switched from high-level weightlifting to being a professional grid league player, trying Moss Wrestling, and now working towards a pro status in the Highland Games, Blonix has been the one consistent supplement I take. The difference is noticeable, and I bet you'll be blown away just like I was. Use Strength Agenda Radio at checkout and score 10% off your purchase. I suggest the HMB and creatine to start, but I also highly recommend the beta alanine. Blonix. That's B L O. NYX.com. Just random off the top of your head. Uh, first answer that comes to your mind. Okay, if you were to get rid of one state in the United States, which would it be and why? Uh, New Jersey. New because, Jersey. Uh, <laughs> because I grew up in New York and there wasn't ever anything going on in Jersey except 
going to an occasional New Jersey Devils hockey game, uh, though it's where my parents grew up and where my grandparents live. Um, and though everyone in New Jersey is going to hate that, I'd get rid of New Jersey. Well, you're the only person that has said New Jersey, so I feel like if we ever had to vote a state out, <laughs> uh, New Jersey is state uh, is safe. The, the, the two hot ones are uh, California and Illinois. Those are the <laughs> two that people are uh, saying they, they'd like to get rid of. Um, who's winning in a fight? Uh, Spider-Man or Batman? Batman. Because... Batman, Batman uh, is killing it lately. But, but isn't Batman... Um, well... Have you ever um, heard, oh gosh, um, it's like the reason that, oh no, 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 I'm thinking of something else. Do you remember in Kill Bill, there was this awesome Superman quote that he delivered before he was trying to kill Uma Thurman's character, spoiler alert, if you haven't mm -hmm. seen it yet, but he talks about like the coolest superhero is Superman because he's like the only actual superhero. Like he's, yeah. he's the only one who <laughs> has innate powers. Mm -hmm. They weren't like bought or 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 uh, yeah uh, brought on by a spider bite. So I would say Spider Man, uh, sorry Superman overall and Batman over Spider Man because I think he's cooler. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised by that. Almost everybody has said uh, Batman. I think I've only had like one or two that have said uh, uh, Spider Man there. So, but it's really funny. Somebody threw in a Superman reference as well. They're like, "Well, Superman's the best." But <laughs> if I have to choose. I was like, all right, cool. There you go. All right. Uh, last question we will go with here. Um, what was your favorite 90s jam? Um, oh, gosh. You know, this comes at like a crazy time, but like Linkin Park's Meteor album, like the whole thing. Oh, Maybe man. it's just yeah. fresh on my mind. But um, Oh, the Meteor album was a, was a really good one. Yeah. Um, I, I also was quite a big fan of the, 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 the collaboration one they did with Jay-Z. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was uh, just like... That was, I, I don't understand why people ragged on their music so much. Like being a, a, a 90s kid, like their music, I feel like was everywhere. Yeah. Um, in, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So why people all of a sudden are ragging on it? And oh, given, you know, the most recent issues with uh, Chester, you know, issues, Chester, yeah, with Chester and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't understand why people rag on it. But yeah, I definitely, Linkin Park was a huge part of my childhood yeah, growing no, we'll, up and all that. We'll, we'll, we've been blasting Meteor in the gym. Uh, in nice. To, to any Chester. song in particular. That's, <laughs> any that, song. That, that, any, exactly. No, I said any, any song in particular. Oh, any song in particular? Oh, gosh. I, no, you know, like that. I'll take the whole Meteora album. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, Zach, it was great having you on. Thank you very much for being on the episode. Um, I, if people aren't able to take something away from this, I question whether they have a heartbeat or not. Um, <laughs> but thank you very much. Uh, good luck with everything going on with Strength Ratio, both in the online realm and at the gym itself. Check out Zach at Strength Ratio. And until next time, take care. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.